Welcome to our evening service tonight. It is a lovely and refreshing thing to hear the instruments playing these good hymns of the faith and encouraging our hearts. Well, we're going to continue in our worship tonight in number 604, asking the question, who is on the Lord's side? And we will uh, shout an amen that say, yes, by His grace, we are on the Lord's side. We want to continue in our service for Him. 604, standing, please to sing.
Amen. You may be seated, and that's a good song and an opening hymn to clear out the cobwebs of unbelief. Sometimes those things can set into the heart and the mind of a Christian, too. Yes, we can face times of uncertainty, wondering what's going on, what is the Lord doing. Are we seeing clearly the way forward in front? Well, by His grace, we will praise His name and we will rejoice by the faith that He has given us to call upon the Lord and to rest in Him and to know that we are on the Lord's side and in that place, in that position, we are on the victory side. Christ is building His church. Hell and Satan and the devil will not prevail against it. So we are on the forward march. Let us therefore with joy walk in the center of the will of God and knowing that we are walking with Him and honoring Him and endeavoring to live the life of purpose that He has given us to live for Him, well, we will do so with joy and in His grace. And not by our own strength, for we don't have, we don't have strength to win this battle or even to go forward in it. No, it is by the power of the Spirit of God, He who lives within us, and as we have His presence and the guarantee of that, we will go forward conquering and to conquer and living in this world for a light uh, for the glory of Christ. Let's bow, please, for prayer. <clears throat> Father, what rejoicing in our heart tonight that once more we are found in this place of worship and lifting our hearts and our voices in song. And Father, this hymn we have started with tonight, we sing, Lord, to your honor and praise. We sing because of what the Lord Jesus has done in our hearts. And we sing, Lord, to say that, yes, we want to stand on the side of our Redeemer. And we know it's not the world's side, Lord. We know the devil hates it. And we know that the world is no friend to the true believer but all those things, let them be, Father, in their place. But we want to go on and forward in the service of our Master. We want, O oh Lord, that our lives will be uh, meaningful in the purpose that you've set for us. We don't want to just squander our lives away. We don't want to waste our time. Lord, we pray that we'll be about our Master's service and business continually. Dear Lord, we need much grace and help for that because we sense our weakness, Lord. We sense our, our total inability. How can we face all the forces that are against us, Lord? By ourselves, we cannot do it. We are powerless. But we are thankful today that the Holy Spirit lives within us as we have called upon Christ, as we have repented of our sin, and Lord, we have received the Savior as our own. And so, Father, tonight we have joy and we have great confidence and we have the assurance of faith and therefore we launch forward and we press on. And even though there's a headwind of opposition and even though there is much temptation around us, oh God, we hear that word, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Lord, we lift our 
Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. We know, Lord, that the work of grace that has begun in us by your power will be completed unto the day of Jesus Christ. This is our hope tonight. This is our joy. This is the very power that enables us to go on. And so, Lord, as we come to our evening service tonight, is there any better way, Lord, that we could be the Lord's day to bring a conclusion to a day of grace and a day of opportunity, a day of great privilege than to be in your house to sing and pray and read the Scripture and to know, Lord, your presence and hand upon us and to know the joy of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Father, we are a blessed people, and we are thankful tonight. And I pray that that spirit of thanksgiving and of adoration and of, well, Lord, supplication that we give, the things that we ask for, that all would be set openly and honestly. Father, we don't want to have any deception in our heart. We know, Lord, that we cannot pull the wool of your, over your eyes in anything that we do. For you know us, you see right through us. You know the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And therefore, Lord, what we pray is that we will have that purity of motive. We will have that transparency of heart before you. And that, Lord, as we endeavor to serve and to worship and to be a witness, that you will be pleased, Lord, to make use of us, for we want to be lights to shine in a dark place. Father, we want to be those messengers to proclaim the wonder of Calvary, the wonder of the cross, the wonder of our blessed Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we present ourselves. We say, here we are, Lord, take us and use us and we pray that we'll be able to show uh, men and women the way of righteousness and truth. And Lord, we would have the joy of leading uh, souls to Christ. Make use of our congregation. Lord, make use of every form of outreach and witness that we are engaged in, whether it is the electronic sign or the outreach among the boys and girls, the Sunday school classes, our day school. Oh, Father, make use of that witness and ministry. But most of all, Lord, our personal witness with neighbors and friends and workmates, this is where the gospel is best communicated. And so, Lord, we ask that you would profit, prosper us in that way. Make use of us here too, Lord, in our morning and evening services and the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Every time we gather, every time the Scriptures are open, every time we gather for prayer and the preaching of the Word, Lord, go in front of us with great power, the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to be useful in Your kingdom. So, Father, hear our prayers tonight. We know, Lord, that there are those of our congregation who can't be here tonight because of their sickness. 
and, and they're set aside. And we pray earnestly for them tonight. Remember our brother Maurice with that broken arm, and we pray, Lord, in the serious nature of this fracture uh, that you would cause the bones to knit and heal properly. We're thankful for our brother Glenn here with us tonight and his family. Lord, bless them. Put your hand upon him uh, physically. We pray for Ron tonight, uh, Lord, that you would help him in this hour and time of his need. And for our sister Serene, uh, bless her, Lord, and the physical need she has, and so many more, some elderly, Lord, that are shut in, can't be out at the service. Pour out your Spirit upon them and bless them. And Father, as we ask this morning, so we ask again tonight to remember the persecuted believers in many parts of this globe who are under the threat of death, in imprisonment. Threaten, Lord, if they open their mouth and testify of Jesus. Ah, Father, be very, very close to them and give them help and comfort and protection and encouragement to carry on witnessing. And Lord, may their hearts be filled with joy. May they know and sense the leading and the protecting hand of their Savior upon them. So Lord, be with us now tonight in every part of our, our service. And bless the young adult fellowship as they meet after tonight. And Lord, encourage every heart, everyone who will gather for a time of refreshment and fellowship. And pour out your Spirit upon our youth in our, in our church and bless them and lead them and comfort their hearts. And Lord, keep them in a world that is so pitted against Christ and against His people. Lord, hear us now tonight. All these things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let's continue, please, in our praise of the Lord tonight, number 407. 407. We'll stand again as we sing.
singing tonight. The praising of the Lord is encouraging. And let's keep on in our worship of Him. We're going to turn, please, in our Bibles now, 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, reading the first 16 verses. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. May the Lord write these words upon all our hearts. This is a portion of Scripture that we would do well to read frequently, as it has both practical application, but also rich truth regarding the person of our Lord. And so as we think, certainly in the final admonition and the exaltation of Christ, He is the one who only hath immortality. He is God of very God, and no man can approach unto the Lord except he come through the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, friend, tonight, are you saved by His grace? Do you know the Lord Jesus in your heart as your own Savior? Have you bowed your heart before Him? Have you repented of your sin? Because except you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the word that Jesus spoke. In fact, the very first message that he ever preached when he started his ministry was just this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so I pray that the Lord would write his word upon our hearts tonight as we have read. Well, we give you a warm word of welcome tonight. We're very happy that you're here. If you're with us for the first time tonight in person or the first time online, and uh, you're very welcome. And we hope that if you've come back uh, as well to visit us again online or in person, you're very, very welcome. We trust the Lord would bless you and encourage your heart. Remember, once we've been mentioning in prayer, uh, we do remember our brother Maurice Monier, as on Thursday he had a, a bad fall and uh, broke his arm severely. And so we're praying for him that the Lord would just give direction to know whether he's going to have to have a plate put in and some other things to secure the bone or whether it'll knit on its own, but we just pray for him. And uh, do remember uh, Brother Ron tonight in your prayers. He has not been well. He's been sick all week and uh, just not sure exactly what the problem is. But to do remember, Ron, please, in your prayers. And uh, great to see Duncan back in the service again. He's been out of commission for the last little while. And uh, Joan as well. We're thankful for uh, their return to the services and pray the Lord would bless them and encourage their hearts. And Serene, it's always a joy to see you in the service and uh, want to encourage you as well. So everyone, you're very, very welcome in the Savior's precious name, and we trust that you would be encouraged and blessed. Mentioned also this morning about Steve and Carol Kelly living out in British Columbia, uh, very much a part of our church for so many years, but because of their age, they had to move out there. And Carol suffers from, well, a situation that's difficult, and uh, she's had to be separated from Steve, needing more uh, care, and uh, that's been tough on them and on Steve, but to do remember them, that family, please, before the Lord. After the service tonight, downstairs, 
the Young Adults Fellowship and young people uh, will be meeting for their own time of refreshment and uh, just some fellowship together. So we hope if you're in that age category, uh, anywhere from 13 years old up to 30-ish or, or so, maybe even more, uh, 40-ish, we don't mind. There's not going to be anyone turned away. Uh, enjoy some fellowship downstairs, and uh, that would be an encouragement uh, to each one. Please remember the uh, Wednesday evening service, our prayer meeting, our midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. It's going to have a missionary application this week. We are looking forward to the visit of Pastor Cho from Soendo, South Korea, and uh, he's going to be coming, arriving tomorrow, and Reverend Kim is, and Mrs. Kim have been looking after the arrangements for them, and so they arrive tomorrow, be here for holiday, and we're looking forward to hearing from our brother on Wednesday evening about his work and uh, how the Lord has been uh, working through them. So please remember that for Wednesday night. Then on Saturday will be the uh, outreach. Well, not an outreach. It's a, it's a family fellowship skating time, and everyone is invited to go to the Canlan Sports Arena on Markham Road, just north of Finch, and you'll find that address online. And it's from 9 in the morning on Saturday to 11, and then after that, coming back to the church here for some pizza lunch, and it'll be a lovely time. Now, if you don't skate, but you want to come to the arena and just be there with everyone, you're welcome to do that. And if you'd rather just come for the fellowship time, for the pizza lunch uh, back at the church here, probably around 1230 or so, then you're welcome to do that as well. Just sign or just put your name on the list at the back if you're coming, skating, and or the uh, fellowship time afterward. And we'd love to see a good turnout on Saturday morning. Next Lord's Day, our Bible classes 9.45 and the morning and evening services at 11 and 6.30. And next Lord's Day morning will be a special one because we're looking forward to Mrs. Dorothy Bodner being here. And we're going to be making a presentation for the opening of the Bodner Library in memory of her husband, Reverend John Bodner. And so that will be a nice time next Lord's Day morning. Please remember that in your prayers. Those are all the ministry announcements that we have for you. Uh, we're going to sing again to the Lord's praise, number 597. 597, just remain seated while we sing.
very precious words. Let me ask you to turn again in your Bibles to John 19. Mentioned this morning that it was Dr. McClellan's birthday tomorrow, and uh, he will be 88 years of age. There are a few other birthdays going on in the church as well. So at lunch today, I said to him, Brother, uh, do you feel 88? And he said, No, I feel 98. So that wasn't too encouraging. Uh, and I don't so feel so young myself. You see, if you see me a little bit limping here, uh, I was lifting something in the shop at school this week, and uh, I turned a certain way, and I heard a pop in my knee, and that wasn't a good thing. And so I've been limping around, but thankfully it's not as bad as it was. I could hardly move there a couple of days ago. So things aren't going too well in the shop. First of all, pinching my fingers in the shop door, and uh, those nails are slowly growing out, I suppose, but it'll take like a couple of months for that. And nonetheless, these things happen, and uh, it teaches us something along the, the line. At least I hope it's, I'm learning something out of it anyways, but I'm not so sure, a slow learner, uh, quite possibly. Nonetheless, we take all of these things in stride and realize that uh, sometimes the Lord just has to teach us and show us we are frail creatures at the very best. And even when you think you've got strength or you think you're able to keep going, uh, little signs indicate things aren't just uh, going to be going on forever. But praise God, I was saying to somebody, and I think it was Nagwa, maybe Manir, I was saying, well, soon enough in heaven, we will have our eternal body, and there will be no more suffering, no more aches, and no more pain, and no more tears, and we will be forever with the Lord. And even if you live to be 90, 95, or as my, my dear mother is 99 here, uh, if you live to be that long, well, still, when we get to glory, it'll seem like such a short space of time here on earth. And is that not true? And so really, friends, it's only what's done for Christ that will last. And we have to always number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Not think we can just live our life and have so much time, so much time, and you never know in a moment things can change. And so let's be very conscious in our minds to live every day and experience every day in the joy and the blessing and the peace of God and praise His name continually. We're turning then again to John 19, reading from verse 13. If you are not with us in the service this morning, the context of this portion is about the Lord Jesus who has been, had been arrested. He had been taken to the house and the palace of the high priest, and then he is now brought before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate has been pressed by the Jewish leaders pressed for his execution, pressed because they did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe he was the Son of God. They believed he was guilty of blasphemy, and so they wanted the death sentence against him. 
Pilate knew that he was an innocent man, and he tried by his political maneuvering to see him released. But there was a providential hand at work behind the scenes here in all this, and God had superintended the whole account of the arrest, the abuse, the scourging, and ultimately the crucifixion of Christ. And we're told in the book of Acts that it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that these things came about. However, man was still guilty of the sin of condemning the Son of God. Verse 13, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, as we bow now before throne of grace, as we come, Lord, to this time of the service where we open the Scripture and we look into the Word in a little more detail, and I pray, Father, for light from the Holy Spirit to shine into our hearts, and please take away those distracting things don't let Satan come and steal away the seed of the Word from any heart. 
Lord, help me, I pray, to be your servant, filled with the Holy Spirit, able to speak according to the direction of him who shows us the Lord Jesus out of the, the Word. Oh, bless us now tonight, Father, and direct our thoughts and our view toward our Lord Jesus, for we pray in His precious name. Amen. Our meditation today on the Word has been focused around that statement that Pilate made when he presented the Lord Jesus in his battered and bruised and bleeding form. He had the crown of thorns upon his head. He had a purple robe that they had placed on him by way of mockery because that purple robe signified royalty, signified kingship. And yet for the Romans, the whole procedure was a mockery. From the time that Christ was brought before Pilate to the scourging that took place where the Roman soldiers had their day with Christ, so to speak. And then he was led into the praetorium, the Roman soldiers' place where they mocked him and they spit upon him and they slapped him and they took the reed that was in his hand and they struck him on the top of his head where the crown of thorns was driven down into his skull. All of these things made up the agony and the humiliation. And now as the Lord is bleeding and his face bruised and covered with the spittle of these ungodly men, he is there before the crowd. And when Pilate said to the Jewish leaders, Behold, your king. Their reaction was immediate. They said, Let him be crucified. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? What evil hath he done? I find no fault in him. He is an innocent man. He is not guilty. And as soon as he said that, they declared, You are not Caesar's friend if you let this man go. We have no king but Caesar. This man who claims to be Christ is not our Redeemer. We reject him. We have a king who is leading the Roman Empire now. The whole thing was, was ridiculous from the standpoint that the Jewish leaders, they had rejected Rome, they rejected Caesar, they rejected all of that intruding army and nation into their land. And yet at this particular point, they were prepared to say, we will accept Caesar and we will reject Christ. Let him be put to death. And Pilate there finds himself in the midst of an awful stew because he knows that Christ is innocent 
and he realizes that Roman law would not condemn any man who is not proved to be guilty. And so he's, his mind is going back and forth, back and forth. And when they raise that doubt about his loyalty to Caesar, that seemed to be the switch in Pilate's mind to say, okay, I know what I've got to do now. And he gave Christ into their hand to be crucified, and he was led away by the soldiers. There are only two kingdoms represented here in this narrative. There is the kingdom of Christ, and there is the kingdom of Antichrist. And Pilate represents that kingdom of Antichrist from this standpoint. He was a secular man. He was a politically motivated man. He was a man who saw that matter and physical being and power and might and strength, that's what really matters in life. Do you know any people like that today? My dear friends, there is a world filled with people who think just exactly like Pilate thought. They think that this world is all that there is around, and that if we don't live to satisfy and enjoy all of the sensual things and pleasures of this world, then our life is not worth living. Ah, my dear friends, if you're thinking is along the line of Pilate. If you have not accepted God or His Word because it's not something that you can feel with a tangible feel of your fingers, it's not real if I can't sense it, or if it's not something to do with physical power or enjoyment or materialism in the world. And there are many who have gone down Pilate's pathway and in so doing, they have rejected Christ. They said, not for me. He's not my king. I reject him. I'm going my own road. And then you look at the Jews, the Jewish leaders. Who were they? They were people who had all of the Old Testament in their hand. They had all the promises they had all the prophecies. They had all the examples that were given of what God had said He was going to do in sending the Redeemer, the Deliverer, to redeem the world from their sin. And they who knew better, they who had all and they had no excuse, they were hardened in their own religious way. And they had built up around them a religion that was for them their bastion. Uh, their religious belief was that which they rested on, they rested their soul on, and they were, yes, taking the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. They were taking the law. They were taking the first five books of the Bible, the writings of Moses, and they were memorizing them, and they were going through them line upon line, and they were looking at the details of the law, and they were saying, yes, you have to tithe mint and anise and cumin. You've got to do all this stuff. But Jesus said to them, 
you have neglected the very heart and soul of my word, of righteousness and judgment and truth and equity. You've left all those things out because in your heart you are full of dead men's bones. You look all good on the outside, but you're rotten on the inside. And you know, my dear friends, that is a very true picture of religion today. Religion in that way that goes through all of the rituals and rites. And every religion in the world goes about to establish their own righteousness before God, whoever that God is that they are worshiping, whatever entity, whatever intellectual being there is, and they have set about to establish their own right being before that Creator. And so sometimes that step they take will be in the form of what they can offer by way of a works-based religion. And so sometimes for people it's going to be giving money. Other times it's going to be doing some amount of good works because thinking that if I do more good works, God's going to be more pleased, and therefore the balance will be tipped in my favor. Even though I've done some bad stuff, okay, not too bad, but a few things, but they're hoping that my good things will outweigh the bad. That is the thinking of religion today. That was the exact thinking of these Jewish leaders because they saw themselves as righteous because they had checked all the boxes as they had set up the scale and the form. Friend, is that where your thinking is today, even a little bit? Do you think you're good enough before God because you have some sort of an awareness of God or you have seen the Bible? Maybe you've read a few verses. Maybe you've got some upbringing in that. Where is the basis of your hope tonight? It better not be the same place where those Jewish leaders had because theirs was the kingdom of Antichrist based upon religion of good works and of everything else that they thought to do was good, even though in their heart it was very bad. But then there was the crowd there too, wasn't there? There was a crowd and they had been not too long before praising Christ as Hosanna, the King of Israel has come as the Lord was descending, going into Jerusalem. Then he went into the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and he cleared out the temple again. That was the second time. And as he did that, their thoughts were turned away from him as welcoming their king because he did not perform as they thought he was going to perform. And so the crowd that was giving their adulation to him soon turned. Now they're against him. And that's just like the fickleness of this world. Uh, people will go after Christ, you know. They'll follow him for what they can get out of him. They'll follow the Lord because things seem to be going along in the right direction. Or it's along the order in which they think is right. But 
As soon as things don't go in that way, then they leave the Lord and they actually become his enemy. And they'll be along the crowd of those who cry out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Ah, my friends, tonight, as we think about this account, for Pilate, who put all of his beans into one bag, it was the bag of Rome. Rome was gone. It's in history. It's just ruins left of that empire. Those who follow religion, they're still around us today, but they have found that there is no lasting hope once they have come to the time of their death in the grave. There is no peace. There is no lasting hope for them. And for the crowds, well, they've moved on, haven't they? They've moved on into finding some new thing to be entertained by. Isn't it so strange that people who've been face to face with the truth of Jesus, with the reality of God's Word, and the, the righteous living and truth of the Bible, and yet they've turned away to believe a lie, a fable, uh, living in superstition, following after all kinds of other things in order to gain Ah, but tonight, my friend, as we look at the second half of this message, ask the question, do you behold Christ as your King? How do you see Him tonight? I hope you don't see Him as Pilate did, nor of the Jews, nor of the crowd, but I hope that tonight you will behold the Lord Jesus, and see Him as your King. We're told that the Lord Jesus is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But it was not until the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to see that we are sinful and that the Lord Jesus is our only Redeemer, our only Savior. And when we have been brought by faith to that place and we have received Him, repenting of our sin, we see the Lord Jesus in a completely different light now. We, we see Him as the one who has bought us and paid for the price of our redemption, and He took us out of the slave market of our sin. And He placed us with joy and everlasting peace. And He has given to us a hope because He placed us upon a foundation that is unmovable. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians, for other foundation can no man lay, but that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's your only hope tonight. To those of us who know Him, as our Lord and Savior. The words of Pilate, Behold your King, have so much meaning. And they draw from us a heart of worship, a heart of thanksgiving. Because when we see Him there, He is for us never so glorious 
as when we behold Him. For He is there as a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Pilate was dumbfounded that Jesus did not bring forward his argument of innocence. But the Lord was silent when the accusations came because Christ knew that he was heading to the cross. He knew that was his purpose. How do we see our Lord Jesus tonight? How do we see our King Do we not behold Him as the King of righteousness? He has given to us, believer, tonight. The Lord Jesus has given to us His righteousness in exchange for our sin. We are the winner in that that exchange And Christ was the one who bore our suffering and our wrath and our pain. Not only has He paid the debt of my sin, but He has given to me the perfect robe of His everlasting holiness and purity. He has granted to me to wear the kingly robe of His righteousness tonight. Ah, friend, stop and think what that means to you if you are saved by His grace. For you will never be cast off in hell. Never will your sin be brought against you as an accusation again, because God has forgiven it, and He has forgotten it. He has cast it away into the sea of His forgetfulness. Today, we are debtors to grace and to mercy alone. You will have heard of the character called Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7, Psalm 110, and then back in the book of Genesis where we are first introduced to him. Abraham was returning from the victory of the battle against some kings that had taken Lot and his family captive. And so Abraham armed his 318 servants in his household. They went after those kings. He recovered all, recovered all of the family of Lot and all of their stuff. And on his way back, a very strange character met him by the name of Melchizedek. And Abraham humbled himself before this elevated figure, and he gave him tithes of all that he had collected. And Paul argues in Hebrews that that was most significant because the less is blessed by the greater. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now think about it. Abraham at that point had already received the promise from God that all nations of the earth would be blessed through him. He had already received the promise of Messiah that would come through his earthly genealogy. 
but now he meets Melchizedek. Many people have wondered, who is, was this man? Who was this priest that met Abraham? And as the apostle in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 gives some commentary on that man and the purpose why he was introduced on the pages of biblical history, Melchizedek is introduced to us as the king of righteousness and as the king of peace. And the authorized translators, by the very fact that they capitalized the word king in Hebrews chapter 7, they recognized that this king was someone very special. And they believed that it was an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ before Bethlehem back in the days of Genesis, the days of Abraham. And we don't have time tonight to go into the details of Melchizedek's life and the other attributes that are recognized and given to him in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, but it bears further study in your own private time. But I am fully convinced that Melchizedek was indeed an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And our Lord Jesus is given that title, the King of Righteousness. It's the only place in all the Bible that that phrase is given. King of Salem, which is by interpretation the King of Peace. These attributes are special. And the Apostle also in Hebrews 7, at the end of the chapter, in verse 26, he also highlights the attributes of our great high priest connected with Melchizedek and the priesthood of Melchizedek, connected all in the one context. And this is what he says of the Lord Jesus, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Are we not speaking about someone who is the king of righteousness? Friend, is he your king tonight? When we behold him, we see him in the beauty of his perfection, and we worship him for who he is as well as for what he has done. He is our Lord. He is our Messiah. He is our King. But we also see Him as the King of glory. In this morning's service, we sang Psalm 24. And Psalm 24, the very last verse, it asks the question, Who is the King of glory? And the answer comes, the Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. And Psalm 24 is an expression, I believe, of the resurrected Savior returning back to heaven again to be welcomed 
back into His rightful place of glory and of honor at the right hand of His Father. Who is this King of glory? He is my King. That's who He is. And as Pilate would say, behold your King, I would say, yes, thank you. I will take Him, for He belongs to me, and I belong to Him. And I acknowledge Him tonight as the great, the everlasting, the eternal King of glory. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, the song of Moses after they were delivered from Pharaoh and the Red Sea, they were on the other side safely. And Moses wrote these words, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, small g? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness and fearful in praises? Glorious in holiness. He is the King of glory. And we we bow ourselves before Him tonight. And believer, we worship the Lord with all our hearts. We open our souls to Him and we say, Lord, whatever meager offering that we can give to Him, however small However stilted it is, O God, take the offering of our hearts from us and the praise that we desire to give, even though when we have given all that we can give, we are yet unprofitable servants because we are feeble and frail and our offering is so limited by our humanness And yet the Lord receives our worship from us. It is a great mercy. It's a marvelous thing, actually. He receives our praises. We see Him as the King of glory. We also behold our Lord Jesus as our sovereign ruler. We observe Him by faith as seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And our sovereign ruler is doing something for us still in glory. He is praying. He is interceding. He is presenting our cause before His Father. And in all of the wonder and marvel of the intercessory work of our great high priest, he combines the ministry of being prophet, of being priest, and also being king. And when we dwell on the truth of all those aspects of his character and of his work, it is a marvelous thing. And tonight, friends, we we view our Lord Jesus as the sovereign ruler of our lives, the one we submit ourselves to. Submission to the Jews was out of the question for them, for they were not going to bow down before him. But submission to those who have received the grace of forgiveness 
and the joy of everlasting salvation and the hope of eternity, we come and willingly bow before Him. When Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 that one day at the return of Christ, every knee will bow before Him and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father, we will come on that day and let us say we'll be the first ones to bow down because we acknowledge Him as our sovereign. We acknowledge Him as our Lord and our King and we say, Father, at that day it will be a great blessing and privilege and mercy to do that. But we would say, Lord, tonight and today in our life, we want to bow before our sovereign. I ask you tonight, is Christ the Lord of your life? You know, you cannot receive Jesus as your Savior and then kind of just go on in life as if He does not exist, or if He does not have authority in our lives? No, friend, once we receive Christ as Savior, we also must take Him as the Lord and King and Sovereign and Ruler of all of our life, or else there's a problem. Now, I know that we are all at different stages of development in our life, in our life of faith. And sometimes people grow spiritually at a different rate from others, just as physically. But friends, if you have professed your love for Christ and, and your faith in Him, and you're struggling in some area of submission of life to the will of God, you bring that matter before Him and say, Lord, I need help here. I need your direction. I can't quite make sense out of this, and I don't know where my life direction is supposed to be going. You present that to your King, and you say, Oh, blessed Savior, I bow myself unto my Sovereign and Lord, and I say, take and do with me what you want. I am yours. And when we pray that to Him, He will give us very, very clear direction. He will show us the way that we are to go. But you know, there comes a point where sometimes in our lives we're a bit stubborn, and we're all down that road some way or another, and the Lord's pointing us and showing us from His Word what He wants us to do, a direction we are to go. But we're putting the brakes on. We're digging our heels in because we don't want to do that, and we're resisting. And who do you think is going to win that battle? No, we, we need to learn very quickly. We cannot kick against the Lord and win. Uh, we cannot resist His will and hope to glorify His name. We must submit and surrender our all. And I tell you, I have been there many different times, too many times actually, where the Lord's dealing with me on some point and I don't want to relinquish power, control, self-will. You know, all that stuff goes on. You've wrestled with it in your own heart as well. And it's not until we come to that point of saying, Lord, I acknowledge Your kingship. I acknowledge, Lord, Your lordship, Your total sovereign authority in my life. And I say, here I am. 
Just take me and do with me what you will. So we're not any longer sitting in the passenger seat in the front of the car and we're reaching over and grabbing the steering wheel and trying to direct the car when the Lord's supposed to be driving. No, we don't just get in the back seat and say, well, no, Lord, if you wouldn't mind turning left here and turning right up there, we'll show you how to get to where we're going. No, as I've said to you before, get in the trunk and close it and let the Lord do the driving. And that's the where we have to be. We have to follow Him in that way. He is our sovereign Lord. We also thankfully and willingly bow before Him who is the almighty defender of His subjects. Have we anything to fear? Is the devil able to do anything against us that Christ is not fully cognizant of and going on? Do you remember the situation of Job? Satan could do nothing against God's servant without the permission of God. And it's the same today, you know. Sometimes we might find our life struggling and we're pushing on and we find a, a headwind against us, the storm's all around, and we might wonder, Lord, are you still there? How come you're letting this go on? My friend, never ever forget this, that our King, He is the mighty defender of His people. He is the one who is watching over us at every step, at every juncture. And yes, sometimes we pinch our fingers in the garage door. It's not by accident. It might be by my stupidity, but it's not without the Lord giving us a little indication of something, a little direction, something in the thought process that might not be right at the time. Friends, let's be very much aware of things that go on in our life. We might take them as just being an incident or an accident or what. You stub your toe against the bed frame or something like that. Don't let something go by without considering. Has the Lord got a little something to teach me here? Well, let us remember that our almighty defender is the one who is overseeing our life. Therefore, we can say, fear not. Jesus said, I am with thee. Do not be dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee, yea, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's the word of our Lord. Psalm 121, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. It means simply this, that the Lord is watching every step we take he is guiding, He is keeping, He is protecting. And that for us, that for us, believer, is a great encouragement and help for us. But when Pilate would say such a word as, Behold your King, we will say, Yes, we behold Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6 tonight, and I did it with purpose, because Paul uses that very phrase there of Christ being the King of all kings. How many kings have there been in this world? We couldn't count them. There have been many. 
There have been some kings that have stepped into position that they didn't really belong to, but they usurped it, and they took that power, and they plundered and murdered in order to get there. There have been other kings that have been rightfully in their place by royal line. There have been kings of mighty empires and nations, and there have been kings of very small places. My friend, you add them all up, you put them all together, and they pale into complete insignificance in the light and in the face of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Is He your King tonight? Because if so, He is our mighty, mighty Redeemer. When the Lord stood before Pilate, or Pilate stood before Him, Pilate said, Do you not know that I have power to release you? Power to deliver you? Set you free? Jesus, in the course of that conversation, said, I am a king, as you have said, but my kingdom is not of this world. Because if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I would never have been delivered unto you. It's such a practical story and picture, isn't it? I mean, obviously, if there was a loyal following of people who were going to support and protect and defend their empire, their king, they would give their life to protect their king. But the economy is completely different here. And my friends, the kingdom of Christ is an everlasting kingdom. And in the book of Daniel, he spoke about that by way of prophecy. He spoke of that eternal and that everlasting kingdom which would be established by Messiah when He comes. And we today, because Christ is living and reigning and the head of the church, He is our King and our Lord. And He is coming back to this world again. And when the Savior comes back, it will not be this time as born in Bethlehem. It will not be in humility. It will be the King of glory, the King of righteousness, the almighty King of power. And it will be to destroy Satan and all his enemies. He will come this time with a sword, and it will be a flaming sword as the picture is given, that will come forth from His mouth. It will be His Word, and the Word of Christ at His second coming will be something that every one of His children will welcome. But those of His enemies will not welcome it. In fact, they will cower away, and they will call to the very mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the Lamb. Where will you be that day, friend? Are you on the Lord's side? Will you serve your King? And oh, how do we see Him tonight? We see Him as our King of love. Why did Christ come down to this world? He did it because He loved you. 
Why did he endure such contradiction of sinners against himself while he was in this world? Why did he allow people to accuse him of blasphemy, to be born of fornication as an illegitimate child? Why did he allow people to slap and spit upon him and to endure the humiliation of what he went through standing before? Why did he do all that? I will tell you the reason he did. Because he loves you with an everlasting love. And friends, we cannot enter into that truth. It's something that goes far beyond us. We're unable to comprehend why would God, why would Christ love a sinner like me? I am so unworthy. I am lower than the lowest. I am less than nothing. And yet God set His love upon us tonight. Oh, do you see Him as your King of love? The hymn writer put it this way, The King of love my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am His, and He is mine forever. And then as we often sing around the communion table, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Ah, friends, tonight, see Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. See Him as your King. Worship Him, for He alone is worthy of all that we can give uh, to Him. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Father, tonight we pray that the Holy Spirit would do His great work in every one of our hearts. I pray that for those who are unbelievers or they're not certain, Lord, where they stand, that You would speak to them now and right where they are seated. They can make their peace with You. Lord, speak on tonight, we pray. Encourage every one of our hearts as we are followers of Christ. We know Him, and I pray our lives will be in the center of His perfect will. And that, Lord, we would not be overwhelmed by all the issues that come against us. Help us to fight the good fight, as we're reminded of tonight again, and to lay hold on life and to be a good soldier and to bear suffering and anguish as a good soldier of Christ because our life is very short and it's only what's done, Lord, for the Savior that will last. So hear our prayer now tonight. Part us in your fear and with your great blessing. And Lord, we again pray for the young adult fellowship afterward downstairs that they would very know your presence with them. Hear us now, part us in your fear. 
We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.